Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. So we want to make sure that the performance is there. A waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. Folks, most mobile advertisers are increasingly aware of the dangers of app install fraud. In fact, global financial exposure to app install fraud in the first half of 2020 was $1.6 billion. And even though the mobile ad industry has grown exponentially to defend itself properly against ad fraud, the potential amount of damage is still extremely high and fraudsters will always want a piece of that pie. Now, fraud methods are constantly evolving and adapting to solutions in the market. Still, staying protected and applying sophisticated anti-fraud solutions are very much a necessity for all marketers. As you all know, our good partner AppSlyer offers super robust fraud protection, making sure you're not paying for that bogus traffic. AppSlyer is also perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile, a true foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive that marketing success. And listen, it's not only us at here at Deconstructor of Fun raving about AppSlyer. Playrix, Tencent, Playtica, Square Enix, Huge Games, all of these companies and many more are using AppsFlyer to boost their business. So go to AppsFlyer.com and get yourself attribution and fraud protection you can trust. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Twig 105. We have our full original crew, myself, Joe Kim, Eric Kress, Mishka Katkoff, and the birthday boy himself, Adam Telfer. How's it going, Adam? So what's the mystery hey, on man. your age? <laughs> <laughs> really put me on the spot. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting up there. It's all right. Adam is the prodigy. He just turned 30. I'm just going to tell right. you that. Anyway. <laughs> Definitely not 30, but yes. Today we are covering four articles. First, introducing the Game Growth Program. So we, are, we covered this last week, but I guess we're going in-depth. So this is from the Unity blog. Second... China-owned gaming firm Playtica files confidentially for U.S. IPO by Reuters. Third, Among Us isn't just blowing up on Twitch, it's dominating mobile gaming by The Verge. And finally, How Discord Won by Ian Vanagus. I think that's how you pronounce his name. All right, let's... What's going on, guys? I'm barely conscious, so you guys are going to have to... Yeah, I can, I can really tell. Like, you and Miska just, like, falling asleep on this podcast. <laughs> well, our, our investors are at least happy. We're working, like, nonstop still, <laughs> so, so you can hear it from the podcast. Um, I think I think there's a feedback session that we want to introduce. So you guys were constantly asking for feedback. And JK, do you want to go through the feedback yourself, or...? Yeah, I got it. I got it. I will be the first... Well, I will introduce everyone to the feedback section. You know, I love feedback. It's really the only way to learn anything, in my opinion. So generally, my process, as you can imagine, is being very opinionated and obnoxious 
and with views that I kind of agree with, but, and try to be as obnoxious as possible without really offending people, which doesn't always quite work. But um, oh, you obnoxious, really? <laughs> but, Never offend anyone. <laughs> yeah, the whole point is to get a response, right? And so when you get that response, uh, you basically can learn why you're wrong or why you need to alter your opinion, right? So when one of Mishka's countrymen came after me, I absolutely loved it, right? Uh, so Jorma Binska, which is a great Finnish name, I guess, or whatever the hell you're from. <laughs> Jorma. You pronounce it like with an Y. Jorma. Oh, Christ. I didn't even get that right. Okay. Um, so he's from Rovio, and he had a few comments about my uh, take on the Chinese game development. And he really did it in a relatively nice way, kind of like snarky a little bit, but uh, very European, what I'm kind of used to with Mishka. I don't think it was snarky, was it? I oh, it you, was didn't, you didn't read it. Dude. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> All right. His major point was that the video game market is not a zero-sum game. Basically, if China were to create a cyberpunk game next year, uh, that wouldn't that wouldn't necessarily cannibalize cyberpunk this year. And I actually 100% agree with him on this for the most part. Right? Um, I am not a zero game, zero-sum person game. I think the market is almost insatiable demand for co good content, and and. And I don't really want to imply that there's not room for game game development from China to compete with Western PC in the Western and PC market. I think there's room for everyone. And you know, the game guys, these super core guys are always looking after the next best thing. However, and you know there was a but coming, <laughs> was my issue is uh with like the state of modern development right now is there's two things that I think there are at conflict. One is development costs and two is timeshare, which I think timeshare is far more interesting from the perspective of the types of games that are being developed right now. Um, so first of all, for development costs. So what I was trying to point out was that development costs is a big challenge for big publishers because the budgets are getting huge these days, right? And so the publishers are focusing on less and less game. And using like Cyberpunk as an example, there's basically three companies in the West only that would ever build a game the size of Cyberpunk, right? Bethesda, Rockstar, and CD Projekt. You know, these games are likely a 200 to $300 million budgets or more, like something insane, probably more than that, actually, if it's a six to seven year development cycle like CD Projekt. So this is way too much risk for most publishers. You know, EA is not going to spin up a team to build a game to compete against Cyberpunk. However, for China... The cost is far, far less of an issue, right? You know, relatively cheap labor, huge cash amounts of cash. You know, valuations are, are off off the chain, yo. Um, and and they just don't have as much, uh, I guess, attention on them as the, as the publicly traded names. So, and they probably have less, a little bit less concerned about profitability over the over the short term, generally speaking. Anyway, so if they were to create, for instance, like the next big online GTA that captures that market, then I don't know if both could coexist per se. So they would be competing directly. Um, and then the second point, oh, on timeshare is like, yeah, for the GTA example or for an MMO example, like if you look at something like World of Warcraft, which has been around forever and ever, they basically took the lion's share of, of the, of the uh, MMO market. So if we're China were to create these type of experiences that capture the audiences, then that would basically eliminate um, a lot of the people that would be willing to spend like, you know, a certain amount of money a month to play uh, um, 
console games or uh, MMOs. So my point is that there is a timeshare feature with these games getting more and more, you know, in depth and 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 a software as a service. That if they do create more and more experiences that compete directly with the publishers, then that could cause an issue. So anyway, great feedback. Bring it, keep 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 bringing it because it really does kind of help me, you know, crystallize my thinking and uh, helps me stay frosty. I All right, we got two more bits of feedback. So I'll try and go over them really quickly. First is from Paolo Gambardella. I believe he's from Genera Games. But he mentioned that he disagreed that when we talk about potential for loss of talent at Blizzard, that he doesn't agree that it's a problem. He believes that good organizations should have some level of turnover. And he states, quote, as a game designer, I see every day that motivation fluctuates and is cyclical. Most of us get bored with almost everything, and most of us generate new and different interests. Talented employees of a company, any company, are going to disconnect or change whatever the company does, naturally anticipate rotations in teams. Instead of trying to force retention is the best thing a company can do. I-M-H-O. The motivations of any professional are unsearchable and will always exceed the ability of a company to try to anticipate and cover them. Organizations of the future, to me, must invent in building loyalty, but also preparing for rotations, especially nowadays where the work from anywhere is becoming the new normal. So it seems like Paolo is basically just making an argument for the necessity of rotations in companies. And secondly, and I didn't get permission or I forgot to ask for permission to, to state this second person's identity, but this is with respect to China and Blizzard. First, China. I feel like the part that you missed here was that the insane work hours and workforce is not new. This has always been the case. I would actually argue that it is getting better over the past decade. There's an emerging middle class that demands to be treated like a middle class, and the cost of labor is actually reaching the point where China is outsourcing to Eastern Europe and Southeast Asia. So yes, it is insanely competitive, but the old tropes aren't as relevant today as they were 10 years ago. And maybe just a second point on Blizzard. I'm not sure where we are going with the Blizzard narrative. I assume there must be an alternative motive at this point. Consulting contract, childhood trauma. There's absolutely nothing new with field acquisitions. I've been through eight mergers that, and I've acquired four companies. Aligning interests is the absolute hardest thing to do, and this lack of long-term alignment is what ultimately kills most deals. And that talking about incentive and long-term alignment of goals would have been the interesting conversation here. Now, I think- Let, let me respond to the whole event, uh, the uh, Blizzard thing. I mean, I, bo both these guys don't really understand the scale and scope of this. I mean, Vivendi bought, I mean, sorry, Activision bought Blizzard like, what, 15, 20 years ago, 15 years ago or something like that? Like they've been like sitting steady Eddie for like for, for years. And, and it's just over the last couple of years that things are just absolutely falling apart. And so this is not normal attrition because of cultural differences. This is like a coup, you know, of Activision taking over the company. So I understand what they're saying. I mean, they, they I mean, it looks like a kind of a business school like type analysis of, of, of organizational change, but um, but the reality of it is this is like taking basically every single creative person out of the company um, and having them move on to other things like almost within you know a year or two. So I don't know. It's just a different scope and scale than what they're kind of talking about, I think. I will say that in terms of feedback, it does seem like there is interest in terms of the China stuff and there is interest in debate around the Blizzard stuff. So additional conversation around that I think would be pretty yeah. cool. 
We're actually set up to record a podcast about China specifically, China versus the West. So as soon as Eric Crest has done his notes, we'll <laughs> jump on that, and we have some amazing guests coming in to talk about China. So that should be a, that should be a spicy one. <laughs> so moving on to updates, have we lost Adam? Uh, I got I got two quick updates, two quick updates on the console side. Um, so first one is Borderlands Three. Um, they actually just announced doing a season, a second season pass, which is actually uh, a bit odd um, considering most console models because typically MAU and Attach actually plummets by the second year um, and why most titles, you know, move to complete sequels instead of just DLC. Um, so this signals that actually Take-Two sees actually pretty good re-engagement through their DLCs and are seeing additional signs of life. Um, so likely additionally because of COVID, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how this second season pass works out for them. Um, second point is on Marvel's Avengers. So in the last couple of weeks, there's been more and more news about their player base. It actually dropped um, on Steam. 80% of their CCU dropped within three weeks, which is pretty bad because um, you compare that to Destiny. Destiny only dropped about 30%. Borderlands 3 only dropped about 50 so it just signals some pretty major engagement issues under the hood and about that games as a service is not getting to where they need to be. Um, and I've talked about this before, but in brief, loot system, content model, which is not set up to scale. So Crystal Dynamics, great developer, but uh, great for single player games and has, has really struggled with this games as a service transition. Miska? Yeah, so regarding Marvel Avengers, I had a friend playing it. He said that he kind of ran through the content in a weekend. I'm not sure um how validated this is just a hearsay so apparently it was fun but but not a lot of content um so updates for me i i wanted so adam you were talking about previously in the podcast of uh, bringing certain games out on the soft launch or overall what's going on in the market so this time around i wanted to bring a market pick so this game is not in soft launch actually launched globally uh i believe maybe a year or six months ago it's called Decor, and it's from finland and it's going after the design home. So I looked at the audiences and the audience is pretty much the same. So 80% US and, and so forth, a very, very similar market and very similar game. Now I'm bringing this up because recently this game actually beat design home in the US market in top grossing list. And when you look at the overall revenue, it's, it's trailing close already to design home. It's halfway there, but you know, still still uh, getting getting closer and closer. And when you look at the downloads, it's actually past Design Home. So it's a newer game. It's getting more downloads. The revenue is closing up, closing towards Design Home. And the revenue per install, when you look at the sensor tower, is really rapidly climbing towards Design Home. So I don't know what, what this means for the overall customization market, but I would assume that with a game so similar than Design Home, uh, it's not looking... You know, it's it's looking that Design Home is not going to grow as significantly as they're maybe projecting. So, what do you dude, think, Eric? Do you, th dude? This is like the death knell for fucking glue, right? I, we haven't talked trash about glue in so long, right? I, I'm now I'm triggered and I, and I love it, but yeah, like, not, not for more than one episode. <laughs> oh, is that right? Sorry, I guess I forget. But anyway, the glue glue stock price is at like seven dollars and fifty cents, so they they've gotten annihilated. But but this is like the worst because no one or I didn't expect anybody to compete at Design Home because the game has been around forever and nothing's even penetrated. I've never even, I never even knew this game was existed. So I'm expecting my Finnish friends, Mr. Mishka, to tell me when this shit's going to happen. But anyway, uh, yeah, this game does look fundamentally like it is eating into the share of Design Home. And without 
design home stable and probably growing next year, these guys are really in trouble because they got nothing next year. And, and if this game is down like 10, 15, 20%, uh, sorry, if design home is down because of this game, like that much, then they're, they're just, in, <laughs> they're in right, Mr. what's the story behind this? What's, what's with the, I mean, we're counting on you for the finish. No, yes. Like, so, no, no, in, all do honesty, it Mishka, Mishka, in all honesty, yeah. dude, I mean, I, I, I'm being kind of straight here, dude. Like yeah. your job is to tell me when this shit is coming out, right? This is, that's what helps me. Right. Because so, I've, All I do I've, is talk trash about glue, and then this is like the, one of the biggest data points you can provide. <laughs> and these guys are right in your hometown, right? You probably know all these mother truckers, right, that are building this game. So, this is so something I, you need to tell me. So the growth has been, you know, they, they've been not even steadily climbing, pretty quickly coming out, and and really, really great team. And the most interesting in this case, since we do a lot of predictions, and you know, this, the new year is again coming, and we do a prediction who gets bought. These guys share the same investors than Small Giant did. So, you know, do a one right. plus one there and, and think about Zynga's portfolio and what is missing out. Right, right. And what I see is that these guys are spending a gajillion dollars on UA, right? Like the fact that they've been able to maintain these download levels for, for this many months, I mean, yeah. they, do, they must have some deep pockets to go after this. And so that makes it even more of a competitive threat for Glue because these guys aren't going away. Was it, was it London Venture? Who, who owns, who, who game makers who owns the these guys eqt is, is one of the key investors and and um it, again it's the same as as with with small giant and i'm just mentioning small giant because you can see the case there eqt came in really great investor really supported the growth so supported the growth not allowing the company to sell kind of like let's go let's go let's go let's grow and really hit a, a an, like an insane growth trajectory. So having the same type of investor, you can kind of see the same playbook happening here is that they're truly fueling the growth of this game. And it's not only the investor, of course, the team is fantastic. So when you have a great investor, great team, um, this is what happens. Yeah, but I should have known about this six months ago. Dude. Sorry. Sorry. Just saying. <laughs> All right, moving on. Can we, can we get them on? Do you know them, Mishka? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, we, we've been talking about it. All right, cool. All right, so two quick updates from me as well. First is that India Times is reporting that Applovin has hired Morgan Stanley to lead their IPO, which could come in early 2021. And India Times is reporting that Applovin has been profitable since it was founded in 2012 when it started as an ad platform, as many of us remember. And it expects to generate roughly $1.5 billion in revenue for this year. And as a comparison, Unity went public last month, as we have reported on pretty well, at a valuation of $13.7 billion after reporting revenue of $351 million for the first six months of 2020. And its shares have risen more than 60% since the IPO. So basically a very favorable environment. Uh, in addition to that, KKR acquired a minority stake in Apple in 2018, which valued the company then at $2 billion. And finally, AppLovin owns a number of studios, including Lion, and a number of other studios. Now, this is me talking now in the Times that for whatever reason, you can read into it however you want. They try to keep very quiet, but there are definitely a bunch of other studios besides Lion. Uh, they are pretty public about MZ. A lot of that information should come out once they file. Uh, second update from me is that Riz Verk, the executive director with MIT Play Labs, wrote an interesting piece titled, Here's how the big tech breakup should go down. 
And he basically is arguing for the breakup of Apple into separate hardware OS and App Store divisions. Google's Android OS and search, he suggests, should be split up and Facebook should split off WhatsApp and Instagram. And not to dive too deeply into this as it's just an update, but for those interested in the context and thinking behind this, I'll leave a link in the show in the show notes. And for any of you who uh, read the Wall Street Journal, Wall Street Journal I'm seeing right now has just reported that the Justice Department is filing a antitrust lawsuit against Google as of this morning. Even further, I also talking about Riz, just published an interview with Riz where we talked about US-China app wars, but also simulation hypothesis. So if you want to hear a pretty interesting conversation about how we're all just living in a simulation or video game, he makes a lot of great arguments about why he thinks so. And again, I'll leave a link in the show notes. What? What did you just say? <laughs> dude, you've been, you're still, you got to get out of the house once in a while, dude. What is this about? We're all living in a simulation like the matrix. Is that what this guy's saying? Yes. And and what, a lot of, a lot of really strong arguments for it. Watch it, dude. Watch it. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's a really interesting conversation, dude. Okay, people, we're going to take a quick commercial break to hear from our sponsor, Beta Hat, and then we will be right back. So stay tuned. I want to talk about consumer insights. Honestly, I've always had issue with consumer insights. I questioned the value and felt that CI was always somewhat disconnected from the real world. The big issue with CI firms is they don't hire people that know anything about video games and therefore don't have a fundamental understanding of what matters in this business. That's why I like Beta Hat. Beta Hat knows the business of video games and understands how to connect consumer insights to the real world. And Beta Hat helps you understand your customers, understand not only what they do, but why. They specialize in customer segmentations, brand tracking, messaging and positioning, pricing and SKU planning, and playtesting through qualitative and quantitative research. There are about 10 people in this industry that I rely upon to understand trends. And one of them is Stan Kwan, the CEO of Beta Hat. Beta Hat is the best CI team in the industry. Go to betahatmr.com for more information. That's betahatmr.com. Welcome back from the commercial break, and let's start the news. Okay, so introducing the Game Growth Program. So Game Growth Program is an accelerator program for free-to-play indie games on mobile. So this is Unity's Game Growth Program. By partnering with Unity, selected indie developers get access to awesome tools plus dedicated team of game operation experts. Unity covers the costs of acquiring new players and optimizing your game, and we share the revenue 50-50. So what it is is an accelerated program for mobile indie developers currently in the early access phase. Uh, effectively, so what it allows is effectively scale your game while you remain 100% independent. So it won't be published under Unity, and you have all the players and so forth. You keep all the data. You get the access to the industry-leading tools and experts in player acquisition, engagement, monetization, and more. And the split of revenue from advertising and in-app purchases, so both, uh, will be 50-50 after the acquisition spend has been recouped. So why is Unity doing this? I actually listened to the great podcast JK did with, uh, with several experts. I forgot all of their names, but one was from Convoy Ventures, if I'm correct. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was about the, um, the Unity IPO and you guys analyzed it in a really great way. So the, the key reason is that Unity needs growth because one thing that you said in that podcast was that Unity essentially has 50% of the market, but the, their business model is not structured in a way that they can get more revenue out of the games that are, that are doing better, like Unreal is, 
but instead it's a licensing fee that every um, you know mid to large to small publisher has to pay them. So now they've kind of taken the market and there's nothing that allows them to grow with the market apart from the advertising revenue. So they're looking other ways to get more money. And this means that, that they're trying to grow now through growing the small indie games and taking a part of the revenue from their growth. Now, when you look at this model, you kind of start looking at the history of all the publishers that have been there from Chilingo to you name it. So I put in kind of a couple of publishers that, that have similar but model, but a little bit different. So you got Superscale, we did a podcast with them about two years, year and a half ago with the CEO, Ivan Tranchik. And this is almost exactly the same strategy, except that Superscale does not have the ad network, which Unity has. So of course, Unity has a, a tremendous advantage there, there. But at the same time, Superscale has been awfully quiet during the last year or so. We haven't really heard much about them. Uh, Tilting Point had this type of strategy. You remember when they came out, they had like these massive funds to grow games. But pretty much soon after our podcast that we did with them, they kind of pivoted to the Scopely model where they are acquiring now the studios that that they work with. So they kind of fund the user acquisition, everything is peachy. And then Lord, Lord and behold, they acquire that studio. And now they're part of Tilting Point and they just did an acquisition, I think it was last week. You got Network that had exactly this type of same model where they have this fund, I think it was 40 million. We haven't heard anything from Net, Network at all. And then we got Supersonic and Lion Studio, so AppLovin and Iron Source. They have the at network, but their model is different. So they purchase basically the rights for the game. They publish, they grow the game, and everything is great because they own the games. So, so um, I, I, I have to doubt a little bit that this will be working as it is, uh, because in my experience in this and and the way i've seen this work is as the game grows everybody's happy but the payback times tend to grow as well and when the game developers are not seeing the return from the game growth uh, and they kind of end up having these sort of empty months they are not so keen on working on that game more so the live ops become less of of you know robust and what tends to happen is they either ask for a release or they start fighting for the money and the development really, really is, is hurting from that. So that could be different in case if Unity just runs the operations for them. And, the, and in that case, basically, the developers just give the game and Unity does everything growth related. So um, to, to make this type of thing work, I think they have to focus more on ad monetized games and more simple games. I would say that to make this type of stuff that they would have to acquire these studios or acquire these games. And I don't think that any of this is likely to happen. And I was actually reading through the comments section of this and a person called Matt Rex, who's a founder of Milk Lab Games, so probably an indie indie game and definitely a customer for this. He, he said this, so this is a quote, Unity runs their own ad network. When you say 100K, this was an example of 100K in the, uh, in the post of how much they will use and what the growth would be. So 100K in user acquisition spending, how much of that money is just getting funneled to other areas of Unity? How can developers be sure that you are being truthful, you're being tr truthful with your expenses? These kinds of expenses are incredibly easy for a large company like Unity to inflate. So even on the developer side, there's a, there's a little bit of a disbelief of this program. So I, I don't know, Eric, I don't know what's your take. This is kind of a weird avenue to grow, to be honest. This is, this is yeah. 
is is like unity going to be like the new glue for 2021 or something because this shit is diabolical right so i mean maybe this is one of the reasons they're not disclosing advertising right they can spend on their own game to build revenue and then expense it on the back end right creating a break-even revenue growth yikes you know like <laughs> what? i mean is that really what's going to happen here i mean that's what he's suggesting right anyway um Look, publishing is hard, man. And the list of people on this list that that have been trying this strategy for the last few years, that's not a list of really successful companies out here, out, out in the space, right? Uh, I don't think this makes any sense. You know, all most, almost all publishers have abandoned publishing because of the slim margins and cost of acquisition is so great. So owning the studios is the only thing that makes sense in this day. Even Scopely, right, which I've been you know, bitching about for a long time, is, is moving in that direction. They acquired the Star Trek guys, and now they've acquired the Fox Next guys for, for the Marvel game. Um, you know, publishing is challenging because you have so many people trying to take money out of the register, right? You have Apple and Google, you have UA, you have developers, you have publishers, and there's no profit left when that when that happens. And this is not, see, this is what's so crazy. This is nothing new. This is exactly the same shit that happened with console like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, right? Is that publishing is fucking painful because there's there's different there's there's no alignment of incentives to publish a game that's outside of your network or outside of your development anyway it's a longer conversation um so no i don't think this is going to work i mean i think this is just you're right they just need to try to fill revenue and i think part of the reason that they had this plan of of, of building out this network to use their ad ad you know do this ad fucking bullshit and I, I think it's going to be a big fail. So we'll we'll see. Um, oh, on a side note, I finally was able to connect with Scopely. Um, I spoke with Javier and Rob. And and in all honesty, it looks like the company is doing pretty amazing right now. They both, they're scaling both Star Trek and Marvel. And you can actually see that in the data. Like over the last six months, the uh, they upticked these two games like by 50% or something insane. Um, probably re re resulting from like tailwinds from COVID and also live ops. But it looks like, much to my uh, surprise, they are likely profitable now. Now, I was right six months ago <laughs> when they weren't driving this much revenue that they are likely not profitable. But nonetheless, uh, both of them seem very smart and pragmatic, you know, the right mix of, to be successful in this competitive market. So let's hope they can maintain this revenue uh, for their current games and build out some hits with their pipeline but i think that's what we said oh, wow. we said yeah. they're probably profitable based on covid right yeah yeah i remember right. this podcast it was maybe yeah. like a month ago and eric was raving how i was like i was positive at scopely and exactly saying these same things and lo and behold javier gives a call and then eric's like yeah yeah this is exactly what i was thinking about <laughs> Wait, are you saying I didn't say that before? No, you wait, were screaming wait, Eric, at me what? that I was absolutely wrong about these things. Oh. Eric, was it a video call or was it an audio call? It was video. Of course. See, that's he's the so, reason. So <laughs> See, you, you know love this what? guy. No, no. What's so funny <laughs> is that that's why I never talked to management. Like my whole career as, as an analyst, I never talked to management because all they know how to do is spin, right? But I look, these guys... Are, are doing the strategy that I suggested like a year ago is like acquire the means of production, right? And when you acquire the means of production, you have more control and, the, and there's more incentives are in line. That's why publishing doesn't work, right? If you, 
they are doubling down on the two games that make the most sense, right? And so they're putting all their resources on that, right? That's what makes sense. But if that was a publishing game and they didn't own the development, they wouldn't do it, right? Because it doesn't make sense to do it because they're not going to get all the profit. So anyway, I, I think they're I just, executing as a strategy. Maybe, I don't know what Mishka's talking about. So I'm, I, I, but I, I'm just I'm just waiting for, for Nick Earl or Chris from Glue to give you a call and we'll what? get a totally no, different no, no, spin no. on that company too. Nick is so <laughs> handsome. Such All a right. handsome Nick man. is, by the way, super handsome and great talker. So I don't know what's going to happen after that call. <laughs> no, I mean, no. Nick is like the man to have a beer with, dude. The guy's awesome. He's really cool. Um, his uh, strategy for Glue? Eh, maybe not so cool, not so handsome. Right? <laughs> Just right, a quick comment on. from me for about Unity is that I do think that this is a red flag. People should be paying attention to this because when you see like a company start to, like if their core model was really working, you wouldn't see them trying to think about trying to do things that are so outside of their realm, right? So I'm, I'm agreeing with you, Eric. I'm agreeing. I, with dude, you. I, dude, you're right. Like, and, 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 and if you, okay, if they were doing something outside of this bullshit publishing stuff, which has failed over and over and over again in this business, right? Like it doesn't, this should be a huge red flag. The problem is, is and I want to go back to what you had said earlier, I think, uh, Joseph, is that you can't put app loving and, and unity in the same buckets because Unity is being treated as a SaaS, like, you know, a, a software company. And and even though App Lovin has their advertising piece and stuff, but anyway, so they're being valued as a SaaS. And so they're getting investors that are outside of the gaming space. that are just pouring money into this thing without really understanding the underlying issues with the company. And so we'll see what happens. But uh, but nonetheless, um, yeah. yeah, this so, is not a good sign. This right. is not a good sign that they're going after their... <laughs> They're partners. I, I'm a fan publish. of Unity, the, the 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 sort of developer framework and tools, but I do think that this is often what happens, right? So you you start to like this is a sign that management is worried about ad revenue and that they're looking for additional areas of growth, and that you know a 50-50 model is UA worth. 50%, especially if you kind of already understand what your ARPU curve is, that risk profile is not the same between the publisher and the developer. And so yep. that model is... Well, yeah, in, in, yeah, in what games would this make sense? I'm trying to think of it. Is it like a hyper-casual thing? Like this, no. this doesn't make no. sense, period. It so. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> especially yeah, especially you, with indie developers. Like in, in the case where they would be paying for the development costs and then they would be taking the upside, then it would work with an indie developer. But with the, this with is the, a classic with, example of some of, one, one of these business school guys that came from, you know, whatever, Stanford or whatever, and they create the model. And they're like, oh, yeah, this works in our Excel model. We just take 50% of revenue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, the, yeah, the same thing I said last. Any business works in Excel, right? For sure. We grow, you grow. <laughs> Or you grow, we grow. That's that's how it works. And they're probably going to spin this to Wall Street, and they're going to like suck it up too. That's what's so crazy. Although we're, yeah, well, we'll see if we're right. Yeah, we'll maybe maybe <laughs> we're just not visionary enough, right? We're just too old and pragmatic, and cynical. Moving on. Okay, so honestly, I know so little about this company, but I I, I will say this: Platika filed confidentially for US IPO, right? So we are seeing insane amounts of 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 traction obviously with the gaming group and we're just seeing these ipos come out of nowhere but anyway so basically they said that uh they hired banks they want to do a one billion dollar ipo at like a 10 billion dollar valuation morgan stanley is the lead um again mobile gaming and gaming in general is so hot right now we're just seeing all kinds of companies 
coming out. So first Unity, now Roblox, uh, and, and Roblox, now Petite, Platika, AppLovin. So, and evidently, you know, the market is hot, 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 which is frankly really good for Mr. Kress. So, um, so I do think that Roblox and Platika are best, they, probably the best businesses out of the bunch, uh, Roblox in particular, but uh, Platika is a pretty solid company that's been around for a long time. So quick history, they were founded in Israel. They were, they were um, in 2010, they were bought by Caesars uh, in the consolidation wave of social casino in which the land-based casino guys really wanted to get involved with uh, social casino as, a, as an alternative use of their IPs and licenses, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in 2016, they were acquired by a consortium of Chinese uh, companies for about 4.4 billion, um, um, and 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 have been remained, I guess, relatively an independent entity since then. Uh, now, so based upon super, uh, uh, sensor tower, they're basically running at like a 1.8 billion dollar run rate um, in net revenue, um, according to sensor tower, uh, and they're continuing to grow at like 25 percent. Now, they do have a pretty diverse offering, sort of. Uh, Slotomania and Bingo Blitz, the two games that are driving about 50% of the revenue, but the other 50% is between like, you know, six or seven other games. They also did the acquisition of Best Feeds guys to help diversify out of Social Casino, which I think was smart. Um, and I imagine they are hoping to use this capital to expand outside of Social Casino and to continue to build their portfolio. So they are coming off a very, 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 very strong Q2 as a as most social casinos did in in uh, during the COVID, but even after that, their numbers still look very very strong. So, I would be relatively bullish on this name based on the financials or based on the on their trajectory. Uh, but I don't know this management team. I don't know the company culture. I don't really know much about these guys at all. So, I would be happy to learn more if anybody's interested in talking to me about that. Um, so, reach out. Uh, anybody have any other insights into this company? So, regarding Playtica, this is this is actually a really interesting company in the sense that it has a pretty balanced portfolio. So I was looking at the portfolio. Slow Domania, which is their number one game, makes 30% of their revenue. Bingo Blitz is number two with a little bit less than 20%. And World Series of Poker is 10% of the revenue. And overall, their key titles have been quite steady, except Bingo Blitz that actually doubled during the last year. Um, the, the kind of a challenge has been that the, well, even currently over the half of the revenue is coming from social casino, but they have been doing extremely good acquisition. Wooga, Seriously, Super Treat, Jelly Button. So all those have been not only solid acquisitions, but after the acquisition, they've grown significantly. Uh, Wooga has grown their June's Journey and, and the uh, the other hidden object game a lot after the Seriously's Best Fiends is having the best of time after this acquisition. Super Treat with the uh, with a solitaire game, just crushing it, and Jelly Button with Pirate King and and uh, Board King, and and there's a couple other games, kind of forgot them right now. They're doing really, really well. So the company itself is very, very analytical, very, very numbers driven. Um, their core competence, so this is my personal opinion. This is not like right from their pages, but my personal opinion is that their core competence is really operations. So they're super professional when it comes to marketing and data. Um, and they really, really excel at monetization. So in other words, uh, if it's, I don't know if this is Israeli saying, but their, their core competence is squeezing the lemon and, and they're just fantastic at it. I've met with, with some people from Playtika over the time and anecdotally, without of course mentioning any names, 
Uh, I would have to quote this uh, person, a pretty high level said, we can't make new games, but we're fantastic at monetization. And I think this is, <laughs> this is really good. This is really well said. And their track record truly proves it. So uh, they're on a prowl for more M&A. It's clear. Uh, they've been acquiring pretty significant targets in hundreds of millions. Uh, and, that, and when you look at the acquisitions that they make, all those acquisitions had had very solid revenue, very solid teams that have been for years together uh, and, and have uh, top titles, maybe top 200, top 100. Um, so I said very number, and they're also looking for teams that are very numbers driven because with a central organization like that, that is all about this growth engine, uh, all about, uh, I, I, I kind of forgot, but I was in, in one of the Google talks and there was a person who worked at Playtica before he was in the marketing data team and he kind of explained this long process where they essentially optimized something for two years to read the benefits and the benefits came, but without going into detail that, that just put into a perspective of how data-driven and how patient they are into investing in something that, that makes sense after, after a while and, and just on the back end. So they are likely not very good with creative teams. And, um, and there, there have been certain examples that I'm not gonna go into because I'm, I haven't dug in enough uh, background materials, but they, they really, really work together with, with teams that, that not only have games that, that are live and are doing good, but, but the teams that are also very data-driven and can actually take the tools that Playtica have and, and make it work. So to summarize it, there was an article on, with, with Joachim and Mania and Master the Meta. They wrote about Stillfront being the dark horse. Uh, well, if, if that's the dark horse, then Playtica has to be the, the front runner because they are not only doing solid acquisitions, but every acquisition that they make, these companies are doing far better after the acquisition in terms of revenue. So uh, a really powerful company. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's, it's going to be yeah, very good. For you them. know, the only, the only thing I, 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 I'm actually questioning based upon what you just said is that, so like Wooga and Seriously were, are great companies and they have some great products. God, I played Wooga's game forever. I love that game. That, anyway, but anyway, the point is- Dune's Journey. No, no, yep, puzzle definitely. game. Definitely. <laughs> Diamond anyway, Dash or what? Uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. The point of the story is though, they still are not contributing any meaningful revenue on a relative basis compared to the rest of their portfolio, right? They need to- they need to get some games that actually generate some revenue, <laughs> like significant revenue, because it's still basically. I think, I think it's hard to compete against the social casino ones, right? No, no, no. I understand that, but in order to really truly diversify your portfolio away from social casino, you need to something to contribute more than ten percent revenue, right? But anyway, I mean, look, they're pragmatic. They have lots of money. They are have this successful portfolio that's likely super profitable. So they're in a good spot to continue to grow, but. They need to do acquisitions like Zynga is doing, right? And so that's why going public makes a lot of sense because then you have the currency and 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 the market cap to actually go after these bigger deals. So more competition for Zynga, I suppose, and still front for that matter. Mishka, your point about how some of these Israeli companies are so strong at being data driven, and so one. Gigi Levy-Weiss, who was one of the original founders and kind of investors in Playtica, I'm going to be releasing a podcast later this week on scaling game studios, and they talk about that difference between creatively driven versus data-driven companies, so I highly recommend you guys check that out. And also, Barack David, who is currently the COO of Merca, but came from Playtica, 
talks about how you implement data-driven decision-making across your entire organization. That is a previous podcast episode, so you might want to scroll back and check that out. As mm. That's that's and actually we're recording a podcast with Gigi next month talking about the Israeli um, Israeli scene, basically Israeli gaming ecosystem. That that should be another one. Yeah. By the way, guys, anything that Gigi is in, you just need to listen. And I <laughs> just another shout out to Yo Kim Akron. He's got a podcast with Gigi as well. But there are a few guys when they talk, you, you basically want to listen to that. So so definitely check that out. No one on other... this podcast, though. <laughs> yeah. us, you can kind of skip those, but yeah. The other, the other thing I would mention is that a lot of these companies are coming out public right before this big IDFA thing happens, and no one is still really. I don't, I don't want to go into an IDFA tangent here, but IDFA will impact these companies, right? Particularly um, Playtica um, and certainly Unity. Jesus Christ! Um, so. Nonetheless, so you know, like we'll see what the aftermath or after effect of this is. I think that's going to be a big, you know, uh, headwind for them next year. So, and 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 anniversary in COVID is not going to be easy for them. Easy as a publicly traded company in their first few quarters of 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 being out there. So, um, it should be interesting. Yeah, the, the ad thing is actually pretty scary. I've been hearing from a few folks who have talked to me about various things, and it's. I don't think people really fully understand yet. If if some things don't happen, wow, it's going to be very painful. That was you didn't say anything just now. You just, just kind of walked around the bush. <laughs> I, I can't. I've been sworn to secrecy, so I, I can't. Okay, okay, but yeah. Overall, like we we believe in Playtica, of course, with the so data driven company and a lot in social casino IDFA is is a risk for them. So it's most likely they're going to do a lot more acquisitions uh, soon to kind of bolster up their portfolio. And especially given that they have social casino and casual. So there's a lot of potential for IDFV um, functioning pretty well with, with those type of games. Yeah. All right. About that. The, the IDFV thing is very controversial too, but yeah. Adam. All right. Third article um, among us is blowing up on Twitch. Um, so if you haven't played it, Among Us is the latest Twitch sensation. First Fall Guys, and now Among Us, is the king of Twitch and also the king of mobile. Um, because I don't know if you've been tracking it, but it's pretty nuts. Um, 176 million downloads and 19 million in revenue on mobile, just on mobile. But that means a 10 cent RPI, so Eric doesn't care. I really um, don't. I, you know, like, <laughs> look, look, I mean, come on, dude. I mean... Uh, obviously this does not have a business model it's it's popular and i uh, and the game's amazing my kids are playing it whatever but 10 cents per download i mean jesus christ you know and it's going to be another freaking you know this is another shark fin right it's like it's going to go away yep just like all things um, do well if you haven't played except it's for a co-op party game with hidden identities so similar to playing like mafia or werewolf or resistance um, the, the interesting bit is like, how did a party game actually become the top thing on Twitch and the top thing on mobile, right? Um, because even like with Fall Guys, I could buy it because you got that Battle Royale element. Uh, but this, because like actually the game was released like two years ago on both mobile and PC. And you can see it from the downloads and the CCU that actually had like a pretty decent following for a party game. Um, but then it actually blew up in July based on streamers. And the thing is, it's not even like the only party game. There's plenty of actually better party games on both mobile and on Steam. Um, it just was the right place at the right time. Um, 
has tons of developer art. It's pretty rough, but it was also uh, has a lot more expression and depth than I think most party games. So that's good. Um, I think the key tipping point here, of course, was the streamers. So Soda Poppin and XQC dropped about or drove about 1 million plus hours watched on Twitch in late July. And that was really the spark that really caused the bandwagon. Because I think this just proves, I think, three kind of key things. One, especially during COVID, people are thirsty for social experiences. So that's Fortnite's resurgence, GTA Online, role-playing, Animal Crossing, Fall Guys, and now Among Us. They're just jumping from novel game to novel game just because, you know, no single service can keep their interest. And I completely agree with Eric, right? Like they will jump to a new service fairly quickly here unless Among Us can, you know, continually become novel. And I think that's pretty difficult. Secondly, just how crazy of a positive reinforcement loop Twitch is, right? Like a big streamer picks up this game, lots of people watch it, it rises on Twitch, then more streamers shift because they can get more eyes, which means they can get more money and around it goes, right? Like that's a very, very positive reinforcement. So there's just a lot of stories of new streamers blowing up because they jumped on this bandwagon and because this game doesn't require the same type of skill, let's say Fortnite or League of Legends takes, there's a lot of new types of streamers, which is actually really great to see. Um, and lastly, number three, just how powerful Twitch and crossplay can actually be even for mobile, right? Like 3 million downloads a day since the end of August, fully organic um, is very, very impressive. But key questions like, will this game last? No, just like Fall Guys, it will be very hard to retain the spot without fresh content at a very fast cadence. And I think Fall Guys at least had mechanisms within it, like swapping the little mini game rounds uh, to keep people interested. This is gonna be a lot harder. And I think people are actually even moving on now. So there's a game called uh, Phasmophobia, which is now the next thing to blow up on Twitch, a new whodunit that players find. So should you make a party game? No. Ask all the devs who made Flappy Bird clones. Ask hyper-casual devs that constantly are chasing after the next hit game on mobile. Ace um, Dragon. And have to, yeah, right? Like They constantly have to clone competitors as well as do R&D on crazy designs on a week-to-week -week basis just to keep up with this novelty. It's the same problem. It's the same business model. And chasing after novelty is extremely difficult business model to scale. So this is a flash in the pan, pretty impossible to predict, but fun while it pops. And <laughs> I don't know, I, I'm enjoying playing, it's really fun. Um, so should you make a Twitch-focused cross-play game? Okay, maybe, that, that has more merit. But I think what this really points to is the potential for UGC platforms. And I know that's a little bit odd uh, for things like Roblox and Fortnite's creative mode, because instead of creating single games like this and betting on a viral hit, you should be able to build a platform that allows these types of experiences to be created and have shared progression throughout your platform. So ideally Among Us was built inside of Fortnite Creative or built inside of Roblox, because then you as a dev can actually take advantage of this situation, right? Because you can constantly come up with new novel party-like experiences for players to enjoy rather than it being a flash in the pan and drop. So enable devs to build on your platform because at the end of the day, people are just coming back because of the mechanics and not based on the art, right? This is just building this type of platform is a much more scalable model to harness than the, to, to actually harness the crazy appetite for Twitch streamers for party games like this. Um, so I'm just really looking at Fortnite creative mode and I'm saying, you know, please start getting more serious because I think there's actually quite a bit of opportunity here. What do you guys think? I don't know. I mean, like, it's good to have Adam back, right? Because he actually 
speaks knowledge and does some work, yeah. right? Alan's back and he's thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I do think you're, I think actually tying this to the UGC platforms makes a lot of sense. So like, you know, this is what Roblox does best, right? It just takes new ideas and just iterates them on a gazillion times. And, and, and it's a really fun place to be for, for that demo. So um, I'm really looking forward to seeing Roblox as a publicly traded company. I think that's going to be really fascinating to see how they, how they do. <laughs> I haven't heard very good things about their IR department yet, though. <laughs> like, I don't think they're ready for prime time. You know, they, they don't have materials. I don't think they have a presentation ready right now. So anyway, they, there's some work to be done. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, good analysis, Mr. Adam. It's good to have you back. I, I, the one thing, though, I will comment on when you say stuff like soda poppin' and XQC, you sound like an 80 year old man <laughs> talking about like <laughs> this pop culture stuff. It's like you got you got to like uh, you got to like soda poppin', man. And like soda these guys are, these guys man, are the coolest collect guys. All the Pokemons, man. Yeah, you got to exactly. collect all them Pokemons. <laughs> you got to know when to enunciate. All right, moving on. Our final article is titled How Discord Won, which is actually related to Among Us because for some of you who know, the big growth in Discord has been driven by Among Us in a way that I'm not super familiar with, but it's definitely tied. But in this post, the author Ian Vanegas argues that lag, disconnections, and coordination issues have always been problems in gaming, but Discord did the best in addressing those problems. And not only does Discord have chat channels like Slack, but also voice channels that are always on and allow people to just easily jump in and out of them. But even further, a big point of the, the post that Ian wrote is that Discord, in his opinion, has made the service 10 times better. And so he argues that Skype is a mess and basically sucks. 100% agree with that. And other competitors like IRC, TeamSpeak, Mumble, and Ventrilo suffered from a bunch of different problems like complicated setup process, paid hosting, and unclear benefits. And the benefits of Discord and how they made their service 10x better, according to Ian, was through a few things. Basically, first, Discord requires nearly no setup. So starting a server on Discord just basically takes two clicks. Discord is free. It's easy to switch to Discord, like inviting people is also very easy. It's two clicks. It's a, it's a link. Joining a server is two clicks, and it's very, very simple. And they also have a lot of very attractive non-core features like emoji support, reaction spots, integrations, video calls, screen sharing, stuff like that. And they have a big community servers for games, fan bases, organizations, hobbies, and stuff like that. Finally, and probably most interestingly for us here in the games industry, is that he discusses the monetization system, which uses boosts as key to their success. So Discord allows users to raise their status through a subscription called Nitro. And using Nitro, uh, users of the service can provide quality improvements like file size, video quality, special profile upgrades, and the ability to boost a server. And he also notes that the founders of Discord, uh, Jason Citron and those guys, came from free-to-play mobile having worked on the mobile MOBA Fates Forever. So basically through Boost, so Boost raised user status in both in the, in the servers. They allow you to improve your friends' online hangout and your community's experience by unlocking a bunch of different stuff. So basically you buy Boost separately and Nitro costs like $5 per month or $50 a year. So my take on all this is I'm still getting used to Discord. It's not really my thing, but 
the author makes some really great points. And while I personally prefer Slack, I think Slack just has like the dumbest monetization model you could ever come up with. And they clearly need some help in the area. It's either free or a huge bill and nothing in between. Also, voice is super useful and important. And I think that Slack's management is basically asleep at the wheel. If they haven't added that, it's something that a decent PM, it would take five minutes to notice just how valuable it is. Anyway, as we have all seen and as you know, helped by Among Us, something is clearly working with Discord and especially with the crazy growth and lack of serious competition, it's not surprising that they are doing so well. By the way, I do own Slack stock just because I felt like anyone with half a brain would figure this shit out, but, and there's huge upside potential, but you know, every month I'm holding onto the stock and they're just like asleep, right? I'm really questioning why I still hold Slack stock. Anyway, any thoughts guys? Well, I, I, my quick thought here is that I've uh, I have done some work historically on Discord for uh, Sony and a few other places, but um, fundamentally they have an amazing product, but they just know business model, right? So yeah, so they give it away for free, but there's this Nitro stuff. I don't know how much of that is really driving it recently, but for the most part, through it seems like a big these social networks and that set up this way are just, there's just not much opportunities for a business model. So I still think they're trying to figure that out. And I've said a million times, even things like Twitch, which has an absolute insane amount of reach still are not profitable. I think they're losing hundreds of millions a year. So um, I think creating a compelling business model around these type of services are challenging. Having said that, the fact that they reach so many people, it is a super valuable asset. So they could get acquired by other companies potentially, but um, I think they, they're, it's a great product in search of a business model. So, Slack should acquire Discord. That would be a pretty interesting. Slack? I'm thinking Microsoft should. Yeah, well, Microsoft should, but then that would destroy the service. <laughs> Back to you. <laughs> Back to you, okay. Um, no, I actually, I thought this was a great article on product strategy, right? And actually, I think on this podcast, we should do more about like debating product strategy for winning and losing products, um, just because I think that's a uh, it's a really good topic to get into. Um, I just think this article really reaffirmed when they're talking about the early stages of Discord, the need to truly understand your your, crystal, your customer and focus on friction areas and find blue oceans where, say, competition is just not listening to their top potential customers, which I think is exactly what they did with Discord. Um, the problem right now for them, as Eric alluded to, is just engineering that next stage of growth. Because while they first, you know, competed against TeamSpeak and Mumble, right? Like now they have to try to expand and they've tried the store route, which failed, right? Um, but now they have to try to compete with Reddit, Reddit, Twitch, and YouTube, each with have, which have better UX and PMs than Mumble and TeamSpeak. So while they kind of won that first battle to win the war, they really need to innovate again, which will be very interesting to watch. Um, interesting to hear about the boosts in the background of free to mobile. I actually didn't know that at all. Um, and I, I think from my perspective, Discord is just becoming more and more important for community building around games. Yeah, I think we should break down Peloton next. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that one's a difficult one, right? With the uh, Apple Fitness coming around the board, the bench. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Since we're talking about already like chatting apps, then why not? I know Adam has been on that Peloton since he was 29. 
um but no even games right like uh what was it valorant which we talked about through the summer um one of the big things that they innovated on was tech right you you look at all of these shooter games that over the years especially companies like uh blue hole and PUBG, where the community is just ripping that game apart because of tech because of net code because of people just glitching out online right and here valorant comes and basically just says like look we are going to have the best in class servers we're going to be able to have the best in class anti-cheat directly countering issues that happen on call of duty happen on PUBG, and i think that's that's proper product strategy right like listening to your top end customers and finding those features that really matter to them and also a perfect segue to an upcoming episode known as valorant the origin story where we have paul beleza <laughs> joining again deconstructive fun podcast so we'll actually dive more into that and that's a, that's a really good uh, really good, uh, really good point. Yeah, Adam, that was I, not planted at all. By the way. <laughs> Adam, I actually know. I think I know a couple of guys who could speak to the Discord product strategy. Uh, so, Mitch Zamara and Steve Hassenflug, if you guys are listening, you guys should jump on. But anyway, and I think we're done. Just sound the cow horn, and if anybody from Peloton wants to join the podcast, <laughs> we're more than happy to to, to discuss the to accept free model. free gifts and free I, yeah. No, no, no. I have way too much stuff filling up my brain right now, dude. I don't need Peloton <laughs> as one another one, please. I can say there's there's plenty of people who are not getting Peloton Life up here in Europe, so I think only UK gets it. We're we're really waiting for it. We're waiting. So Peloton. Get your product strategy done. Dude, it's, dude, all right, fine. You want me to comment on this? It's a ripoff, dude. You could get a freaking $300, $400 bike, subscribe to the $15 service, get your own iPad, you're done, mm -hmm. right? Not okay, this, does like, it come with Miss Allie Love? Because I'm not going to cycle no, you can see. You can see all the hot <laughs> girls doing the, the their biking thingy, thingy, thingy. Dude, I don't, don't waste, don't don't waste your money. Energy. I need the Let's energy. <laughs> Don't waste your money, dude. But let's stop this before it gets yeah. any worse. Yeah. <laughs> Both Adam and Mishka are thirsty now. <laughs> All right, guys, we're, we're, we're out. Catch y'all later. Bye.